0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast. If you are new here, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Mallory Page. I am a registered dietitian. I am also the host of this podcast, which I created because I wanted to be able to lead non-diet conversations around exercise, food, wellness, recovery, and so many other topics of a similar sort. There is just so much diet culture noise out there nowadays, it's really hard to sift through and it's confusing, and I hope that this podcast can at least provide you with a different perspective to be able to bring into those conversations with others or with yourself when you're trying to decide how you want to engage with something. I'm really looking forward to today's topic because I just think it's an interesting and important one to discuss, if I could have recorded one podcast episode for younger me that was struggling with her, her eating disorder, wow, mixing up my words, younger me that was struggling with her eating disorder, it would be this podcast because I just feel like there was so much misinformation on this at the time. I wanted to be able to go around the system and do things in my own way, and yet at the end of the day, how I was doing it was really just harming me. So talking about can you recover while eating healthy is near and dear to my heart because of my own journey, but it's also near and dear to my heart because of how many women I've worked with that ask me this question and how many times I get this question in my DMs or even see it as I'm just scrolling through social media. Now, I feel like with this topic, you may wonder why it's even something that we would go through, but also why it's something that is so prevalent nowadays and why so many people are asking about it. I think that a lot of this has come about from the body positivity movement that's really taken off on social media over the last 10 years or so. There has definitely been a shift in the way that people talk about health, wellness, and fitness. And I feel like the discussion around diet culture in particular. Has really started to take off on social media within the last three years or so people are really starting to recognize and label diet culture for exactly what it is and even openly criticize just how problematic it is and i honestly think this is amazing and i love the fact that more and more people influencers content creators are starting to open up this conversation and even be willing to share criticism And I think this widespread discourse of diet culture has definitely brought about a lot of changes, including the shift that we've seen from diets to wellness. There are a lot of people that are criticizing diets, but in doing that, we also do see a lot of people that are pushing that wellness or wellness-based practices are okay, just not diet culture. And this wellness shift has also brought up its own host of issues that are not as easily detectable to people right now. Now, the main issue that we're facing is that unfortunately diet culture is still alive and well, and it has become more covert or less obvious especially in the ways it shows up within wellness culture. Now, one thing has remained the same, which is no matter what, we see a lot of people on social media that are underqualified not just talking about this, but also giving advice on this. And we also see people that are qualified giving advice on this. I mean, we see people of all sorts. And this especially can create a lot of confusion for people, especially people that are in the space of trying to heal their relationship with food, recover, or drop dieting. So, you may be wondering, okay, why is this all important? Well, because I feel like a lot of what we've been seeing come about in terms of people turning to, quote-unquote, healthy or wellness-based practices in recovery, is due to the fact that social media is pushing this rhetoric quite often. There are, of course, other influences to this as well. Family influences, relationships that people get into, books that someone reads. I mean, it's not just social media. But no matter what, it still brings up the same exact question, which is, is it possible to recover, heal your relationship with food, drop dieting, while eating a quote-unquote healthy and balanced diet. So the first layer that I feel like we need to discuss with this question is what the heck does it even mean to be healthy? And as you can imagine, this already brings us to some complication because there is no such thing as universal, quote unquote, healthy eating. If I were to ask every single one of you listening to this episode what your version of health is and what food you think would fuel that or what practices you think would fuel that, everyone is going to say something slightly different. Whether the variation between what you say is huge or small doesn't really matter because at its core, there are still differences between what you think. Now, even though it may seem strange, it doesn't actually matter what your version of healthy is for this conversation. And I know that my past self listening to this episode would have wanted to explain why my version of healthy may be different than other people's or why it may be super important because I had so much belief, so much research that I thought was pertinent, and so many things that I was following that I truly thought were the pinnacle of health. And so if you're feeling that right now as I say that, just know that I see you, I hear you, I get it. But I promise you as I explain more in this podcast, You'll see that at the core of whatever version of health you are wanting to follow, in the case of trying to recover or heal, it is all really boiling down to having certain rules, standards, or things that you believe that you need to follow around food. In a minute, we're going to talk more about why we may be attracted to having these things, But I also think we need to define what the whole idea of recovering while eating healthy even really means. My definition or idea of this would be as such, your desire is to create an emotionally sustainable relationship with food or to have more mental freedom around food while still also being quote unquote healthy. And that's your definition of healthy, just as we described. And this can be appealing for so many reasons. There are people that have a desire to be healthy because they feel that that will help them to have a body that they're comfortable with. There are people that are afraid of and or dealing with chronic diseases. There are people that feel afraid of losing physical freedom as they age. There are people that feel afraid of looking a different way or losing an identity that comes along with eating a certain way or feeling like they don't fit a standard. For example, if you're a dietician or you're a trainer, you want to feel like people respect that you can eat this certain way. You may even feel like not eating this way makes you lazy or it doesn't make you hardworking or you don't have willpower. I could go on and on and on, with a list of things that people may be afraid of losing by not quote-unquote eating healthy. But we can see that most of these things definitely have somewhat of a fear basis to them. There is a fear underlying this desire, and that fear can be different for every single person, but it's still there. So Let's take it back to the food rules. And as I mentioned, if you're feeling an aversion to the word food rules because you don't resonate with it, replace it with whatever does resonate with you. Any variation to the core idea of food rules is still pertinent in what I'm going to say. This could be thinking that certain foods need to be avoided, thinking that certain foods are better than the other, having some distress that comes up when not eating foods, or eating foods in certain situations. Any of those type of things you could replace with the word food rules. But regardless, food rules have a lot of hidden appeal to them because of this fear that we were just naming. When we experience fear, what helps us to quell that fear is a sense of safety and security. It's finding comfort. And by using food rules... We get to stay in our comfort zone and we also get to have this sense of security. It can make us feel as if we are working or continuing to maintain this thing that underneath it has a lot of fear behind it. So if you keep following this one specific diet, you feel as if you no longer have to be confronted with that deeper fear of weight gain because you're working on it. And that feels a lot better in the moment than being stagnant with it. I also think it's important to name the fact that the type of rules that we're talking about or standards we're talking about can provide a lot of structure and a feeling of control. Many of you guys may resonate with being perfectionistic, Type A, someone that likes routine, and I am not in any way saying those things are bad, but food rules can be something that really feeds into this. We can think if we eat to a certain standard or follow all of our rules or do a diet perfectly, it's like getting an A on a project. But unfortunately, food you can't get an A in, and there's no such thing as having rules or standards that are actually helpful to you. And so it can lead you down a challenging path. On another note, many people go from one type of control to another type of control when they're recovering or dieting. You know, they could go from restricting food to wanting to answer this question of, can I eat healthy food and focusing on that instead? And that is just a way to feel like They go from one type of thing that gives them those control mechanisms, it gives them standards, to another type of thing that can still give them those same control and standards, but it feels a lot better. It feels as if they're taking a step in the right direction. This was all of the background on this, and I think that I wanted to share it before we went into more of the discussion because the entire concept of eating quote-unquote healthy while doing recovery or healing your relationship with food in and of itself is ambiguous and hard to define. And I also think that there's a lot mentally that goes into this. And coping mechanisms, identity, limiting beliefs, all are interconnected here. And we really just scratched the surface on one of the, or a few of the many reasons as to why you could feel drawn to even listening to this podcast and getting this question answered. So we can't dive into all of the psychological background of this, but hopefully now you feel like you have a little bit of a deeper understanding. From here, I now want to explain more about the question. And if you guys are familiar with my podcast, you'll know that most of the time what I do on podcasts is present both sides of the topic and also discuss educated opinions, and I'll share research. In this case, there really isn't research that is directly answering this question to present. There's, it's really hard to research this because it's pretty unethical You can't take people that are struggling with food or eating disorders or that have been dieting and say, okay, we're going to have one group that eats really healthy and then another group that doesn't eat healthy and then a placebo and see how it goes because you're tampering with someone's lives and that's just really not okay. There is some research that kind of goes along with both sides that could support the idea of eating healthy versus support the idea of not worrying about eating healthy. And although I do totally understand why some of you guys may want to hear all the reasons behind why you should, quote-unquote, eat healthy, I don't think that you guys need that explained. If you're clicking on this podcast, you likely have seen so many different things on why it's, quote-unquote, important to eat healthy and you know, the different reasons that you should be eating this food or that food or this diet. And I feel like you could probably write a laundry list of those things. So I don't think it'd be the best use of our time. What I would also guess is that many of you guys don't have much understanding for the research or the ideas behind why it's potentially not helpful to focus on quote-unquote, eating healthy while you're in recovery. And so I'm going to give you guys some information, some reframes as to why your brain may be telling you that you should do this and why it is likely not going to be in your best interest to do so. We're going to start off with reasons why this may be an issue that are more general. And As we go into this, I want you to be thinking of some examples that could be food rules or habits that are not helpful. So a few that I wrote down that I see the most are focusing on ingredients, avoiding non-backed food intolerances, especially keep in mind here the food intolerance tests aren't actually accurate, health trends like blood sugar balancing, fixation on protein, avoiding sugar, avoiding seed oils, avoiding really any ingredient out there. Obviously, things like still counting calories or macros, anything along those lines. But I feel like the ones that are more sneaky are especially those wellness-based practices that you could feel desire to engage in. I also know that some of you guys automatically may be thinking, well, I don't see why it'd be a problem to do these things, or how do you expect me to believe that it's okay not to eat sugar? And I hear you. That's exactly what I want you to keep in mind as we go through these next sections on why this could be an issue. So starting off with number one, mental restriction. This is probably the biggest one that is especially contradictory because of how it will affect you. Having any sort of limitations around certain foods or food groups is going to affect how you interact with that food. And it really sets you up for a vicious cycle. And this is true whether you're trying to recover from dieting, heal your relationship with food, or if you have an eating disorder. If you follow food rules, or if you follow those standards, or if you tell yourself there are certain foods you can and cannot eat, you are experiencing a certain degree of mental restriction around these foods. And even if you eat the foods, and even if you don't physically restrict yourself in terms of amounts, but you are still doing some sort of restriction, only having certain amounts, only having certain times, whatever it may be, it is still going to affect you. And even if it doesn't affect you at first and you don't feel any mental discomfort at first, there will be a time which likely is sooner than later because we all want what we can't have, even if we don't sub or if we don't consciously think that, that you will end up, not being able to sustain this and or having mental and physical detrimental effects from this. The feelings usually result in you desiring that food, even if you don't know it, and either when you have it, having tons of this food and or not allowing yourself to have this food And because you're not allowing yourself to have it, you're noticing other effects around food. So you may start having tons of other type of safe foods, or you may just be really unhappy mentally throughout the whole day. You may experience extreme hunger. You may feel like you can never stop eating when you start. There are so many different things that could go along with this. But the problem is you can't, quote unquote, undo this without removing that mental restriction. You can't undo this without removing the food rule because the food rule in and of itself is what caused this in the first place. And even as I said, if it doesn't cause it at first, that does not mean that it's still not affecting it now. The only way to break this cycle is by allowing yourself not only the food that you've been restricting or breaking the rule that you've had set up, but also by fully having freedom with it. So if you're going to let yourself have ice cream and you've restricted that, although it may be very uncomfortable, the first couple times or even more than a couple times, I don't know, it's different for everyone that you have this, you may find yourself having way more than what you think is healthy. I mean, you may not think any is healthy, but you may find yourself having the whole pint or feeling like it was just more than you wanted. And the reason for that is because of you restricting it. It's like, if you were to hold your breath for a really long time and then get to breathe again, you take a really deep breath. And if you were to hold your breath and just breathe normally, right, you would never have to take as deep of a breath. That is very similar to what happens in this circumstance with restricting the food and then finally having it. Your body naturally wants more and more because it feels like it doesn't know when it's going to get it again. I promise you, though, as someone that went through this and as someone that sees hundreds and hundreds of clients through this, it will go away. Once you allow yourself full access to that food and have that multiple times and take away all of the boundaries on it, that mental restriction will subside and the physical symptoms of that mental restriction will subside. What I want to bring up is although it may not feel this way, any type of thing that you avoid is a mental restriction other than allergies. And unfortunately, even allergies like people that have celiac disease, it can feel this way in recovery. But I just want you to know for those of you that deal with that, there are ways to navigate it and we can help you through it. It's definitely a little extra hurdle, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. But for anyone else that does not have allergies, and by allergies, I don't mean intolerances because intolerances most of the time are not actually something that holds merit for so many reasons. Maybe I should do a whole podcast on that. Anything that you're doing along these lines is a mental restriction, and it will be creating this cycle, whether it's consciously happening or subconsciously happening. So that's a huge one. Number two that really ties into this, though, is the whole idea that by doing this, we are maintaining a food hierarchy or keeping food on a pedestal. I was already hitting on this a little bit, but when you're labeling foods as quote-unquote healthy or unhealthy, bad and good, clean and dirty, or any other thing that you feel like comes up for you around food or amounts you are still maintaining a moral hierarchy around that food. And whenever we have morality around foods, there will be fallout to that, most likely in the form of guilt. There can be so much guilt associated with foods and it can be really frustrating because people can feel like there's no way to get that guilt to go away. And I so see why you would feel that way. But in reality, the Guilt was created by the morals that you gave to foods that inherently don't have that morality. And then you continue to maintain those by avoiding or continuing to engage in compensatory behaviors whenever you do have one of those foods. So in saying all of this, we have to take the food off the pedestal by having it. And so if we were to avoid certain foods that we thought were quote unquote bad or quote unquote unhealthy, like sugar or dairy or carbs or whatever it may be, that food is going to remain on that pedestal and remain in that hierarchy and it won't allow for us to be able to take it off and it won't allow for the external symptoms that are coming about from that to adjust either. On a similar token, number three is that it does not address the underlying causes of the strained relationship with food or the reason for dieting or the reason for the eating disorder. It's one thing to be able to say, I avoid X, Y, and Z, or I have this food rule because of this fear. It's another to actually work through that fear. And to be able to pinpoint it is the first step, but the actions that you take against that underlying fear is the next step. So by not allowing yourself to, first of all, explore any reasons as to why you feel really attached to the idea of quote-unquote eating healthy, even during your recovery or in general, and also not allowing yourself to step outside of the rules or things that you feel you need to do to maintain that, that underlying issue is still going to persist. And this connects to number four, which is that it also does not help you to create healthier coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms are so important in this conversation. I want to do an entire episode about this from a scientific perspective because I find it really fascinating and many of the members of Love Unrestricted, my group coaching program, find this so helpful. The short form explanation of this is we all have coping mechanisms and some of these are adaptive, also known as helpful. Some of these are maladaptive and unhelpful. And maladaptive coping mechanisms can even be the way that you interact with food And exercise. Oftentimes, when we have some type of emotional distress, we can latch on to eating with food rules or eating certain amounts or whatever else it may be, even exercise in order to work through the distress. But in actuality, you're not working through the distress by engaging in a maladaptive coping mechanism because this is allowing for you to avoid the emotions associated rather than work through them in a productive, action-oriented, resolving way. So, uh, do you hear that? That's my cat who begged to come in now licking himself near the microphone. Not a good sound, not helpful at all for the recording. Otis, come here. Oh my gosh, you guys, this is an every time battle, even if I don't speak about it each time. Back to what you were saying, though, I know that this type of stuff can seem nitpicky when we're talking about coping mechanisms, or you can wonder, you know, what's the importance of this? Is it really bad to engage in these type of things? There has been research out there, much of which I talk about in my programs, where they've looked at recovery, and this was specifically in people with eating disorders, but they looked at people that had normal relationships to food, never had an eating disorder struggles, people in like severe intense eating disorder, people that were in partial recovery slash quasi-recovery, and they saw that one of the biggest things that propelled each group forward and specifically propelled people that were in quasi-recovery or just some disordered habits into full recovery Was them changing their coping mechanisms? So there is a lot of basis for the importance of this. And by continuing to engage in a quote unquote healthy way of eating or whatever you think that is, you are most likely in some way upholding coping mechanisms that are not serving you. Number five is something that helped me the most, especially when it came to moments where I was trying to push away negative thoughts around food, and that is the effect of stress. So, a lot of people and research articles discuss how stress is one of, if not, the most detrimental thing that you can experience because of how it affects your body. And when I say stress, I'm not saying just any stress. This is chronic stress. This is really intense stress. We do need a level of stress in our life. I'm sure many of you guys are thinking about that psychology diagram and how there's like this perfect area on the bell curve of stress. And of course, I'm not saying that any stress is bad stress in that context. I mean, the stress that we endure that's very chronic and it's often affecting the way that we feel mentally, but also the way that we feel physically because chronic stress creates inflammation in the body, or at least there are proposed mechanisms that show that it does create inflammation. And inflammation is number, one of the number one things that people point to in causing diseases and issues in the body. When you keep this in mind, you have to ask yourself if the stress that you are causing yourself around food, around eating a certain way, around exercise, around your body is healthier for you than letting go of those stresses and eating or doing the things that you're stressed about. From my experience, the majority of the time, Having the things or doing the things that you are stressed about is so much better for you than enduring the amount of stress that those things are causing for you mentally. And this also then brings up some important questions about what type of health you're actually trying to accomplish, because if you know that this is the case, but you still want to make the choice to continue down that stress rabbit hole with these habits, what does that mean about the health that you're trying to achieve? Another thing that speaks to overall longevity and just total picture health are research studies that we have about what leads to longevity and the most fulfilled type of lifestyles. There are two studies in particular that I wanted to pull from this one study where researchers drew survey data from over 21,000 adults over the age of 50. It was done in university of Michigan's health and retirement study, and it suggested that optimism, happiness, social support, and purpose in life could increase longevity. You will notice that none of those areas were nutrition, exercise, or any of the other things that we've been talking about today. Of course, note that this is not saying correlation equals causation. It's not saying those things mean you will live long. It's saying that they saw increases or potential uh, increases in longevity from these things. There was also another study that tracked the health of 268 Harvard sophomores in 1938 during the Great Depression and they followed them for nearly 80 years. It was one of the longest studies of adult life that researchers have. And by the end, there were only 19 of them still alive. This was in the mid-90s. And some of the recruits were eventual president John F. Kennedy, Kennedy, and longtime Washington Post editor Ben Bradley. Just kind of interesting facts. And Even from that initial research study, the scientists eventually expanded their research to include those people's offsprings, and there was now like 1,300 in their 50s and 60s that they were able to look at and see the effects of health and aging over time. And from these studies, one of the main findings that they found the most surprising was that our relationships and how happy we are in relationships has a powerful influence on our health. And they said that taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too, and that is a revelation. I bring these up not to act as if there aren't other things around food and movement and body that can affect our longevity, and our health. But it it is to show that this idea that focusing on nutrition and exercise as a means for health, and really some of the only means for health, often at the compromise of many other things, is just flawed. Think of how many times your desire, obsession, food rules, have affected you being able to feel as fulfilled in relationship, to be able to go out to eat, to be able to experience happiness or optimism. I know for myself, in past tense, in my orthorexic days, it was all the time. And as I mentioned before in my story, if you've ever heard it, it wasn't as if I was quote-unquote restricting per traditional norms. I was just obsessed with eating healthy and restricting those foods that I thought were unhealthy. And so that still was something that heavily, heavily affected me. And I will just say for those last two points that I read, I have personally experienced that my life during my orthorexia where I was eating quote-unquote perfect and doing every possible thing I could to be as healthy, quote-unquote, with food as possible and exercise, I felt horrible. And it wasn't from not eating enough. It was from the misery and the stress that this was causing on me all of the time. So I really want you guys to keep those two points in mind if you really struggle to understand how to navigate some of those obsessive thoughts around eating healthy or what could happen to your health. Also, I just feel like it's worth touching on super quickly that gut health is often a big fear here and your stress around food and also your restriction of certain types of food is actually what creates the issues with gut health. I'm not saying there aren't ever other reasons for gut health problems, But just remember that 99% of people diagnosed with eating disorders have a comorbid gut health diagnosis, and we suspect the numbers for disordered eating are very high as well. There's proposed mechanisms for this, and you can find out many of these in my gut health podcast. It's one of the very early ones. But just know that if you're experiencing that, I'm first of all very sorry, but also that you are not alone in that, and there is reasoning for that. Now, last but not least in this list, although there could be many things we say, is that this can give you false belief around being able to recover in an idealistic way. And when I talk about idealistic, I mean that it allows you to stay within your comfort zone. It allows you to hold on to things that you really want to hold on to even when they're not serving you. The reality with developing a healthy relationship to food mentally and emotionally, and really the reality of any type of growth we're trying to accomplish is that we have to be able to leave our comfort zone. And that's inherently uncomfortable subconsciously, our body is designed to keep us out of discomfort because it feels unsafe. So we are overcoming biological challenges when we are embarking on a journey to growth. So don't be down on yourself if it feels hard because there will be moments where it feels that way, but I promise as you keep doing it, it will become the new comfort zone and the growth will go along with that and it will be really incredible. So even though in the moments you may feel really uncomfortable eating something different, it may create physical symptoms that feel really icky. It may create mental symptoms that feel icky. A lot of that could be due to this idea of staying in your comfort zone. Now, those are very general-based things to look out for that are issues in trying to recover by eating quote-unquote healthy. But I do want to just mention these other two that go along with the fear of weight gain idea. So if you resonate with having an underlying fear around your body changing and that is playing into or a part of your desire to eat quote-unquote healthy or avoid sugar or avoid certain foods or whatever it may be, while you are recovering, these could also apply to you and be challenges that come up. So number one, this doesn't fully allow for you to mentally work towards body neutrality because if you're adhering to these food rules in effort to avoid gaining weight, you're still holding on to that fear of weight gain and maybe viewing weight gain as bad And of course, I'm not saying that you should be able to just shed away the fear of weight gain, but if we're telling ourselves, oh no, I'm going to recover this way or I'm going to focus on protein, count macros, restrict calories to a certain extent or only eat certain ingredients because I don't want to gain a bunch of weight when I'm recovering, that is still coping with that underlying fear because you are... Still putting merit in the fact that your size is attached to your worth to some extent. And there's a lot that needs to be worked through underneath that fear in order to fully be free and to fully recover. The second one is that it feeds into this subconscious hope that being quote unquote balanced will lead to potential weight loss or aesthetic goals. And it doesn't help you unpack this desire. There are many people that have this idea that they're fine with recovering if they are just gaining muscle or if they're just getting stronger or if at the end of it, they end up losing weight back to a set point that they're comfortable with. And I totally get why this can be something that feels alluring, but in the same, on, in the same token as the last one, is that the, in the same? No, on the same token. I always say that wrong. In the same vein as the last one, if you're holding on to that desire to have your body look a certain way, it's contradicting the idea of recovery because we are wanting to detach that worth from how we look. So, with all of this being said, I know I just threw a lot at you in terms of issues and things that challenge this idea that you can, quote-unquote, recover while being healthy or holding on to food rules. But I feel like there is one analogy that really just drives home everything that we were just discussing, which is what I call the injury analogy. And this was something that changed my life when I was trying to recover myself. So the injury analogy goes as such. Let's imagine that you are a soccer player and you're on a collegiate team. I don't know why I'm setting it up so in-depth. And in a game, you tear your ACL. No one else tears their ACL, right? Just you. But you're still a part of this team. And what's challenging now is that everyone else continues to do the same thing. And yet you're over here having to focus on recovering your ACL tear. So, everyone else may be still practicing and running and playing in the games you on the other hand are doing pt exercises resting maybe you're on crutches maybe you're getting surgery and you are not able to do what the people on your team are doing even though you feel so connected to them you feel like you're on the same group in the same group because you're on the same team because if you do those things You will obliterate your ACL healing. You will take all of these steps back. It's because it's not productive in helping with what you are personally dealing with. This is so similar to what it is like working on healing your relationship with food. You are dealing with that ACL tear, but it is your relationship with food. And the things that you need to do during that time... In order to heal, that are productive, are all associated with healing the ACL tear. And that does not include the things that your team are doing. So you have to let go of all those food rules. You have to not worry at all about what foods you are eating or not eating, even the amounts that you're eating, even if it doesn't feel quote unquote normal, potentially taking full exercise breaks and getting covering your mirrors and just all of these different actions, right? Because even if they feel extreme in that moment, at the end of the day, it's because you are dealing with something that other people aren't necessarily dealing with. And if you ever try to compare yourself to your teammates and say, you know what? I don't care that I'm dealing with this ACL tear. I'm just going to go on a five mile run today with my teammates. It sets you back. And that's the exact same as if you are doing all this stuff in recovery and then you say, I'm going to take out sugar. I don't know why I've highlighted sugar this whole time. I think it's just because a lot of people have been asking me about it, but it could be anything. I'm going to do blood sugar balancing. I'm going to count my macros. I'm going to start weighing myself again. That doesn't really relate to this specific episode, but... I am going to start intermittent fasting. I mean, literally any wellness trend, any manipulation to food at all, other than if you have an allergy, it is not contributing to the healing of the injury. It is contributing to the hurting of the injury. And that comparison game with the people around you is super hard. But if you can put it into the context that number one, maybe what they're doing is going to cause injury for them and it's not the best. And number two, they're in a different scenario than you are, and your whole goal is to get back to be able to play again. So in wanting to get back to being able to play again, you do everything that you can in order to achieve that. And now we just need to apply that to food and exercise and body image. When it comes to real recovery and not what I would call quasi-recovery or kind of roundabout recovery, it is uncomfortable. It's confusing. It has a lot of ups and downs and it feels like you're pushing outside of your comfort zone and your food rules and developing new identities and coping mechanisms and even just understanding how to validate yourself and build up your internal worth and find that unconditional acceptance. But The beauty of it is even though sometimes in the moment it feels really hard or really uncomfortable, on the other side, that discomfort is gone. It's a quote that I was just posting the other day on my Instagram, which is, Would you rather fully recover or live the rest of your life in a battle with food, exercise, and your body? Because ultimately, those are the two choices. And even if there are improvements that you make by employing a technique like, quote-unquote, eating healthy while recovering, and that's amazing that you took steps, it's still challenging because you're still going to have those thoughts around food, body image, and exercise. And it's so worth it from my seat, at least as someone that's gone through it, just to push to the next steps and really be free of it. With all of this being said, I wanted to offer some tips or just kind of takeaways to think of when it comes to how to navigate not being involved in this mindset you have to eat healthy during recovery. Number one, obviously monitoring the social media and the influences in your life is huge. I will say that anti-diet is really cool right now. It's kind of blowing up, which is awesome. But there are definitely people that then co-opt that languaging in order to push their content out or have it seem more agreeable or less problematic, and yet it's not actually anti-diet. It's not actually anti-diet, for example, to be counting your macros to lose weight, but saying that that's food freedom because you get to eat what you want. I don't know. That's a random example, but it's not really anti-diet to be hyper-fixating on your blood sugar through non-backed techniques, non-research-backed techniques. Those are just me throwing out random things, but there's that element that's going on. And then at the same time, I keep saying that I feel like wellness culture is currently Regina George. She is the popular girl. She is the it girl. And some people love her. Some people hate her but no matter what, she is prevalent and she is there and people have a desire to be like her to an extent, at least a lot of people. And so you have to be really wary of that moral draw to wanting to fit these standards. It's super hard. You know, it's super hard to feel like you're kind of pushing against the norm by not following this wellness-based content. But I promise you that it is not going to be helpful for you in this time and space. And there's a lot that may never be helpful because it's just not good advice, but then there's others that you can come back to when you're in a different space and it could be a totally different experience. And then just remember that a lot of the people that you're seeing share are underqualified or they're not sharing from a perspective that may be serving you. There could be a dietician that you follow that's qualified, but she isn't... Understanding of eating disorders, or she doesn't talk from a non diet perspective. If you're trying to recover your relationship with food, break free of dieting, or no longer have an eating disorder, that's not necessarily going to serve you because they're not speaking the language that you need to be hearing in that moment to fully heal. Another tip that I would have you do okay, disclaimer none of these you have to do actually. Whenever I'm sharing this stuff, it's only for educational purposes and you don't have to do any of it. But what I should have said is something that I have suggested before to clients is asking yourself why you feel the need to eat healthy. This exposes so much because I think a lot of us have this desire for the pursuit to be healthy because we hear it a lot in the media, you know, people tell us it's important, but what does that mean to you? Do you want to live really long? Do you want to feel really well? Do you want to look a certain way? I mean, there's a million things that it could be, but what is it for you? Because then you can ask yourself in each moment, but even overall, if what you're currently doing is actually contributing to that. For example, if you have a lot of stress or even a little stress around food and exercise, and we know that stress is the least healthy thing for you, and yet your goal with doing these habits is that you want to live long, then that is contradictory. Another example could be if your real goal underneath eating healthy is to stay at a certain weight, then it's not really about health because we know that health is not just based in weight through the fact that haze exists, which is health at every size, BMI is faulty, and also that the way that we find the weight range that is the best for us is not even by weighing yourself or eating a certain way. It's by tuning into yourself and being able to find what helps you to feel your best. And that will then align with your subpoint weight range. And therefore you will feel your best Overall. So I know that that was a lot of words at once, and I kind of just sped through it, and there could be so much that we break down, but I'm just giving you kind of an example of what I mean by walking yourself through some of these questions around needing to eat healthy. Another tip or test is to take away some of the things that you think you need to do to be healthy and observe your reaction. And or add in things that you don't think are healthy and observe your reaction. So, let's say you take an extra rest day. How does that feel for you? Do you feel like you can't even get through the day? It's super challenging. You have bad body image or your mental health is bad. You should never be relying on anything, including exercise, to such an extent, coping wise and mentally and emotionally, that you can't take in my opinion, multiple weeks of rest, but especially even a day of rest to just start off because we know that you need rest. It's so important. Another example in terms of adding would be add in some food that or amount or whatever ingredient that you don't view as healthy and see how you feel. Is that really stressful for you? again, does it cause an emotional distress? Do you feel like you ruminate on it? All of those things are a really clear sign that those habits are being too heavily relied on. There's a lot going on underneath it, and it's really important to take steps away from it. The fourth thing that I would say is remember that there is a time of adjustment needed Whenever you are changing the way that you eat, your body needs some time to adjust. For example, if you are adding in a food that you previously restricted, there is research that suggests that it could take up to 12 to 15 times before you even have your body start to recognize how to digest that food again. Because when you remove foods, it changes your gut microbiome, the motility of which you move through things, or the motility of your gut bacteria, and the way that you are able to move things through. So we have to give our body time, but also recognize that When you are mentally restricting, there are so many foods that you will not even think to crave anymore. When I was struggling, I genuinely did not think that I wanted any of the foods that were outside of my rules. And there were a few reasons for that. Number one, because I had restricted those for so long that my brain didn't even pop it into conscious thought processes anymore, which is pretty wild. Another reason for that is because my fear around them was so strong that it overcame any desire that I had, at least initially, until it broke down over time, and also because I was never around it or I was never in a position where I really ordered it or where I felt like it was the right environment to do so. And so you have to be able to allow yourself that time for adjustment, that it's not always going to feel normal at first, that you may not always even crave it at first or may not like it at first. Of course, in the future, you don't have to eat things you don't like, but there are so many things that I told myself I didn't like that I actually love 100,000%. I really hope that this episode was helpful. I know that if I listen to this episode... Oh my gosh. I would have probably, this is a strong word, but I think I would have hated it at certain points of my eating disorder. I think I would have denied it. I think I would have said it's all BS and I would have had a really strong adverse reaction to it. And I just want to validate if that's you right now, I get it. I've been there. It's so real I also may have been someone when I was a little bit further along that knew that these things were true, but tried to convince myself that I was the exception. I have worked with around 300 clients and 90% of them have told me that they felt like they were the exception and yet they have all learned that they weren't. And so I promise that's possible for you too. and. I get why it feels that way, but just know that there are so many other people that feel the same as you, struggling with similar things, and I promise that you can get through these thoughts. And if this is something that you feel like was really helpful for exposing that maybe a thought process you were having wasn't serving you the most, but you feel stuck in how to work through it, my group coaching program, Live Unrestricted, Would be absolutely transformational for you. I have to say that we have had so many clients that have dealt very specifically with orthorexic type mindsets or have an obsession to eating healthy or just have a lot of fear of stepping outside of certain health based practices or things that they think are health based practices. And they have been able to work through this and really reach full freedom and their version of what makes them feel their best and let go of a lot of these fears and struggles that can be involved. So I always have that link in the show notes if you want to check that out. I also have a link to submit podcast episodes and some other things that you can check out as well, like my Instagram and anything else that hopefully you may need should be in there too. I really appreciate you guys listening and I am always just so grateful for your time. If you did really enjoy this, leaving a rating or review really helps the podcast or sharing it with someone you know, but no matter what, thank you. I'll see you guys next week.